Hello, everybody. So Eric and I are back again uh, because climate change is a big, big topic and um, there's some things that we were not able to cover in the first segment. Um, so this particular segment, we want to talk about the systematic barriers to addressing climate change. And also we want to talk about the African context because it's something that not many people are aware of. So I think it's important to highlight the important work happening in Africa to address climate change and also to look at the issues happening or the, yeah, the issues in Africa in terms of climate change. So Eric, I think the first question uh, for this segment is, you know, how is um, climate change a systematic issue? Is it a systematic issue? Yes, I think climate change is definitely a systemic issue. And um, um, definitely, definitely. I, I, I don't think it would be anything else. Because I mean, look at it this way, right? Um, the very people that have the least responsibility in causing the climate crisis are also the very people that are bearing the brunt of the climate crisis. I mean, it is clear from multiple reports that the people in the global south, especially in Africa, are disproportionately affected by the climate crisis. But Africa has literally a negligible roller. I mean, to be specific, Africa um, has only 4% of historical carbon emissions, has only contributed 4% of um, carbon emissions, yet Africa is literally bearing the brunt of the climate crisis. And um, so basically, um, I, think it, I think it's important to seek to understand how. And um, if you compare it, um, of course, global North countries are, have, are very, uh, their economies are very carbon, high carbon intensive, they're carbon dependent. Um, and this is because their only ability to be able to, they're, they're only able to do this because of like um, the resources, the, the resources they have been able to acquire and accumulate from the global, global south. And I would um, refer you to a Jason Hickel paper. A Jason Hickel is an economist and who recently released a report recently on the amount of resources and labor that global north um, countries literally um, depend on per, global, per year from the global south. So I think that is a very interesting uh, paper that actually seeks to quantify um, how much um, resources and labor um, global north countries depend each year on, uh, on uh, or, or have depended on rather um, from global south countries for, for years. So that is something to look at. And this is, this is attributed to like, um, global um, neocolonialism and imperialism. Because if you even look at it from the aspect of like, um, why are African countries not able to adapt to the climate crisis? Don't, they, don't we have the resources to, uh, to be able to do this? But our resources are constantly um, drained by multinational companies. If you look at the statistics on how much resources are actually going to global north countries, global ninth countries from global south countries is huge. And um, I mean, if you even look at it from the point of like, um, of course, we need climate action and it's clear. In the last um, segment, I talked about the shift to renewable energy and the need, of course, we are in consensus that we need to shift into renewable energy. But if you look at it from the point of like, um, of course, cobalt is an important uh, mineral in um, in um, powering renewable like renewable energy batteries. But seventy percent of the world's cobalt and lithium comes from the DRC, and these communities are exploited. And uh, most of these profits from these minerals actually go to American 
and uh, basically global north countries. So I think it's uh, it's it's uh, relevant, shocking, and that's why climate justice is also trade justice. It means fair trade, and that is also why climate justice is also workers' justice because the people working in these minerals actually need to be paid fairly. That's the kind of thing, and that is that that the capitalism is basically looking at it from the point of like you know this the uh, this companies literally care only about profit and mm. uh, you don't realize that there's actually child labor in uh, in this mines. Uh, UNICEF quantifies it at 40,000 children involved um, in the in the DRC mines for cobalt and um, lithium, so that kind of thing. So I think it's it's important to think about it from that perspective, that these com communities are actively impoverished. But if you even look at it from other perspectives like that, and uh, this just shows the neo-colonial agendas that dominate in today's global climate politics, um, there is what we call climate finance. Climate finance is basically what um, global North countries are basically supposed to pay to global South countries so that they can, we can be able to enable us to adapt and also to pay for loss and damage. But according to an Oxfam report that was, I think, released in 2020, 80% um, of what um, has been given as climate finance um, over the years has actually been debt creating. Imagine that. So global South countries are actually paying for a crisis. They had the least role in causing in the first place. And that is just showing the uh, neo-colonial agendas that dominate in global climate politics. How can 80% of that uh, go, we have to pay back? And that shows why climate justice is debt justice. And negotiators working on climate finance need to recognize the historical role global North countries have in causing the climate crisis, uh, climate crisis and realize that climate finance is not aid, it's reparations, yeah. that kind of thing. So uh, I think it's important to think about that. And that is why climate justice is debt justice. And it should not be going to, um, to uh, the climate finance shouldn't be debt creating in the first place. And that is why we need climate finance in the form of grants and that kind of thing. Um, if you also look at it from the point of like just funding loss and damage, there has been huge resistance. Uh, uh, from global north countries, especially even at COP26, in global north countries taking responsibility for 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 actually the, the painful gloss and damage. I don't know why it's actually controversial, but I, even aside from that, um, Africa specifically, I mean, there is what um, we need. Definitely need to understand the climate crisis and how it manifests itself um, in different systems in Africa. But um, if you look at it from a research perspective. Um, from 1990, all uh, funds that have been allocated for climate research, only 4% have been allocated to Africa, only 4%. And out of this 4%, 78% of it actually goes to European and North American organizations who set the research uh, questions mm -hmm. uh, on Africa. And this has set a huge, uh, this has, has become a huge problem because um, it's basically from Europe, to Europe, but about Africa for Africa. And the, this has posed huge, uh, huge problems because the research questions they set do not necessarily represent the, the needs of local communities. And as a result, it impairs Africa's ability to tackle the climate crisis. And that just shows, um, you know, um, the new colonial agendas that dominate in global climate crisis because our ability to 
um, to, to adapt to the climate crisis should not be dependent on the research questions that are set by the white man, that mm. kind of thing. And even, even look at it from the point of like, of course, even the African economy needs to shift to renewable energy. I mean, that is in consensus because um, by 2050, fossil fuel um, assets are going to be stranded assets. But um, if you look at it from who funds uh, fossil fuel activities in um, African countries, 55% um, of um, fossil fuel, public finance that goes into fossil fuels uh, in Africa or fossil fuel infrastructure in Africa, 55% of it actually comes from North American, European and Australian um, governments and institutions. Um, if from Asian um, companies, I think, or, or governments and institutions or lenders, um, actually is only 32% and African total, we only contribute 15 billion. Um, yes, these, that, that is only 11%. So I think our ability to also shift to less carbon intensive economies depends on who is funding it. Because I guess, because most of the funds on fossil fuel infrastructure in African countries actually come from Europeans and the North Americans. So that is the kind of thing. So I think, and that is why I think um, the public finance, uh, I think uh, the funders, especially I think like China, of course, has committed to no longer funding coal in um, different countries that it operates. I know China is a huge funder of fossil fuels and coal in African countries, but um, and even here in Kenya, the CBC, but um, there is a, the, the, the China Development Bank. They were actually funding a Lamu coal power plant, but um, the community's resistance was strong. Damn, I'm proud of that community. And if, if you look at it from that perspective, and um, uh, if you even look at it, it uh, okay, I probably should have said that said this um, when I was talking about climate research funding. But um, you know the IPCC reports, and uh, there was a study looking at who are the researchers. And only 1% of uh, IPCC researchers or scientists are actually from Africa. Only 1% from the very continent that is bearing the brunt of yeah. the climate crisis. You know? Yeah. And also, finally, I mean, I could speak about Africa for long, but um, let me go on to this other report released by Africa No Filter. Africa No Filter is, a, is an organization that assesses media in Africa and uh, trying to shift narratives. And um, its recent report on uh, reporting on climate change in Africa, um, six out of every 10 companies that report on climate change in Africa are actually European and North American uh, media companies. So who is telling the story? Mm. Uh, or who is the holder of the narrative on, on um, climate change uh, issues in Africa? It's actually the white man who dominates. Mm -hmm. And that, that doesn't necessarily always reflect, reflect or the angle that it is um, reported from doesn't necessarily reflect um, the true narrative because I mean they're the holders of the narratives. And to be honest, you won't you won't know the story of the um, the lion if the hunter is the one who is telling the story. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, you won't know the victories of the lion if, if the, the the teller of the story is always the hunter. Mm. That kind of thing. So I think there is that perspective. I could talk about it um, 
from so many perspectives on how Africa is literally bearing the brunt of the climate crisis. I mean, if you even read it, there isn't IPCC reports. More than any other country, I think Africa, in terms of agriculture, has been disproportionately affected. Um, and um, the yields have significantly reduced, especially maize at a time when maize mm -hmm. is actually a staple, a staple crop and wheat. And so there is that kind of thing. So if you even look at it from a point of like globalization, Mm. Um, in the agricultural sector, um, I think I think the climate crisis is definitely a political issue because um, I think it's not that we don't have the solutions; it's that yeah. there is no political will. That, yeah. That's kind of thing. And um, if you look at it from a political point of view, um, let's talk about maybe the droughts that are happening mm. here in African countries. Um, of course, um, if you look at it from a uh, from the Food and Agriculture Organization, um, uh, the world produces 1.5 times um, the food it actually already needs. So it's it's not that that it's not that um, we don't have the food. It's actually who has access to the food. The food, yeah. So the um, lack of access to food or uh, the food crisis is not a matter of like there is lack of food is actually access to the food and itself. And that, is why, and that is because there is increased industrialization. So mm. it's basically the capitalists that are having are having um, access to this food. So li literally, I guess, um, um, capitalists are literally hunger profiteering. It's mm. called hunger profiteering, I guess. Yeah, uh, because in, when there is increase of demand uh, uh, to this food as a result of the drought, uh, then they increase the the, the the cost of the food, mm -hmm. and that is also the thing with them, with them, with the Ukraine. What is happening in Ukraine? Because a significant amount of uh, the world's wheat comes from Ukraine, and as a result, um, uh, um, when once the, the, and that is why I think people call um, the Ukrainian war, or uh, they call it um, Russia bombing the bread basket of the world. I think that is why they call it that way, because a significant amount of uh, the world's wheat actually comes from um, from Ukraine. And uh, uh, I think the, you, the you, war happening in Ukraine is not only having is have not only affecting Ukrainians themselves, but also the rest of the world yeah, because yeah. of on the influence and, uh, you know, even from the food perspective. Mm -hmm. And um, I think in general, I think the globalization of uh, of uh, the food system is actually problematic by itself because it's taking away um, the ability of local farmers mm -hmm. uh, from actually growing our own foods locally here. And that is why at a time when Africa, more than any other continent, has huge percentage of uh, farmlands or uh, arable land or, you know, farm that you can be able to to farm, um, we yeah. import a lot of food. Mm -hmm. um, I think I was literally um, looking at the statistics. I can't remember them from the tip of my fingers right now, but Africa literally imports a lot of food when we have a lot of um, agricultural land to farm. So, and this is because of the insistence on industrial agriculture. At a time when we need to respect food sovereignty and uh, um, uh, you know, invest on farmers or maybe respect farmers' abilities to be able to, you know, to farm on our own communities. Yeah. So that is the thing, I guess. So I think um, the insistence on industrial agriculture is also actually even controlling access to seeds 
um, seed mm. sharing yeah, yeah. That's, that is that kind of thing and there's been a whole um, issue on corporations having access to these very seeds and that kind of thing even seed yeah. sharing there are literally policies even here in Kenya that um, criminalize seed sharing and there are literal penalties for that so I think I think I think it's interesting to look at it from that perspective yeah I mean, so the, I think yeah, I don't know <laughs> sorry go on I cut you off there um I, I I don't know I was just thinking out loud yeah mm. yeah clearly uh, yeah neo neo-colonialism is a big issue and it's something that you you wouldn't really attribute to this issue because it you would think climate change affects everybody so it's in everybody's interest as I've mentioned earlier that we all uh you know we're all working to save help the planet and so that people can just you know live but then you know this is a profitable market as you mentioned earlier when I asked about the fossil fuel companies and why there's well then why there's resistance um but then there's also intersectionality with, with climate change and you know you talked about Africans being um and the global south being you know disproportionately affected but also there's women in that isn't there um which is which is a uh, and then and there's also a, an element of I don't know whether this is the right term I don't want to say racism, but it's, it's what I mean. But I don't know. You might have a better word, but it is racist, I think, because it's only affect it's affecting the same group. But yeah, what would, what are your thoughts? Okay, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I was that is a very interesting thought, and I'm actually glad you brought it up. So I, I definitely think um, the, uh, not 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 the weather systems themselves are racist, but how they're able to manifest in local communities and local communities' ability to 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 adapt to this crisis. Uh, I think it's 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 a part of a system that has historically been racist and impoverished impoverished uh, black and brown communities. Yeah. So as a result, they are on a, and they end up um, not having access to these economic opportunities. So as a result, when climate catastrophes hit, their own ability to adapt to it or uh, is uh, very low. And if you also look at it from the global north perspective, um, where fossil fuel comes companies are actually constructed are in um, even even looking at uh, like in California for instance uh, fossil fuel companies that are drilling uh, drilling boats or are actually constructed next to black, black and brown communities and that is having mm -hmm. a huge impact mm -hmm. on their own health yes. kind of thing. so I think it, it's part of a whole racist system and as a result um, I think the climate crisis um, hits hardest uh, in line with already existing systemic yes. issues yeah. and that, that is also as a result even if you look at it from um, a gender justice point of mm -hmm. view women are indeed disproportionately affected by the climate crisis and if you even think about it let me start home uh, here at home here in Kenya um, during the COVID-19 pandemic uh, there was a huge drought of course in northern Kenya that um, the government um, the, the president literally declared it a national emergency that put millions at risk of severe and unforgiving hunger but women specifically were disproportionately affected because if you look at it from COVID-19 coupled with the COVID-19 pandemic and the economic challenges that coupled uh, came out of it um, there was increased numbers of uh, child marriage because uh, Mm. Uh, uh, families are literally giving away their daughters for dowry and as a result um, so that they can be able to get this money to be able to you know um, to buy food that kind of thing and that, that was a, a little um, report on that and even 
um, on a more general point of view, because of the patriarchal system that we live in, uh, women are left to, to, to rely on jobs that depend on natural resources. Mm -hmm. And when climate catastrophes hit, uh, Natural, uh, natural resources are actually hit hardest by the climate crisis. And as a result, uh, their own source of livelihoods yeah. are, are actually affected the most. So yeah. if you look at it from that perspective, and that is why to solve the climate crisis, we need a feminist um, approach to it. Otherwise, um, even otherwise, otherwise, if you look at it from even in terms of like solutions, there, there, there was, there isn't IPCC reports that actually calls um, introduced the term maladaptation. Maladaptation is basically when you're tackling the climate crisis, but um, uh, ignore the gender perspective or the gender aspect of it. And as a result, um, women are left, uh, it basically only benefits the men and women are still left um, dependent on this patriarchal systems. Yeah. So as a result, I think there, there needs to be gender mainstreaming in, uh, in climate action so that women also come out of it um, stronger. So that kind of thing. So I think um, the climate crisis is definitely caused by neocolonialism, um, imperialism, patriarchy, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, racism. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm just trying to look for this video. There's a TED talk by this um, lady. Her name is Catherine. And she talked about, you know, you cannot look at climate change as a singular thing, which you've literally the whole time we've been talking, you've been mentioning all these different things. And some people just focus on, you know, either food distribution or you know, um, the rise in sea level stuff. But no, it's, it affects so many things because it's about a whole ecosystem of living right and so yeah. she talks about how you cannot look at climate change or addressing climate change without looking at women uh without looking at racism also if you look at stuff like health as well that that's a, as you mentioned earlier it's a big impact so there's lots of things that we need to be looking at but i think the way the message is delivered on climate change you normally think of yeah storms and then you look at animals and they're like oh the, you know these people are these not these people these animals are becoming extinct so then you're focusing on on that wildlife when there's people who are hungry who are not eating and then there's other devastating effects happening to, to communities both you know mostly in the global south but even in the uk um if you look at um here the uk is very, very largely functional on class class is huge i think class actually supersedes color in this country uh, which is which is interesting um and so you know you find a lot of people affected by climate change particularly in the north is they normally tend to be people you know, you know who are working class or, or don't have you know access to lots of things and then the lack of information and and then also people that are made to go mining which is interesting that they don't do mining a lot in the uk anymore but they they're now doing that overseas um particularly in africa so because they've actually banned mining over here and now they're doing it. so it's very interesting and this is why I, I brought the racism into it but I think you know what you've highlighted is important is not looking at climate change as a singular issue you know and as you say inform yourself and how it actually it's just because you don't see the effects there's so much going on um and I think it's it's important that we're all we're all aware but I think women is well yeah gender is a huge thing but then there's some people Eric who, who are not keen on feminism so I don't know how we address that, um, but they, they see that feminism is a bit of a, it doesn't help like the LGBTQ people, which I, I mean, I don't know how relevant that is to this conversation, but some people see feminism as not a very inclusive um, movement. Um, I don't particularly have those. All I can say is, is about the, 
the I can only talk about the white feminism, which seems to kind of overload feminism generally. But I think that's of a, but that's a, kind of a lot of things. I think even like climate yeah. change, <laughs> it's a, like climate change activism. It's like what we've literally been talking about all day. But what what are your thoughts? Because it's a tricky. Think, not everyone's keen on on climate. I still insist. I still insist on a feminist uh, mm. approach to tackle the climate crisis. But again, what feminism is, I think in the whole world of feminism, it's a bit nuanced mm. because we also have TERFs, um, the trans exclusionary radical mm. feminists who exclude the experiences of trans women. Exactly, um, yeah. Mm. yeah. that kind of thing. So I think that is mostly white feminism mm. uh, as you called it. It's, mm. it's indeed white feminism because I mean the, the modern white uh, Christian woman is averagely the person who would um, ignore the experiences of uh, trans people. But I feel like um, this issue is intersectional. So uh, the experiences of trans people um, is uh, definitely tied to the climate crisis and all this. So I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I wouldn't necessarily say the feminist approach that should be used to tackle the climate crisis should uh, should be the one uh, should should actually exclude um, trans people because they are they also um, this are disproportionately affected by the climate crisis and they are actually leading the fight um, to tackle the climate crisis even including in Fridays for Future where I've got them the privilege to work in um, there I've got them the privilege to work with many LGBTQIA people and um, I'm honored by that experience mm -hmm. so I think that um, it's um, it's it's a uh, it's huh. well uh, I think it's an intersectional issue. That is all I can say. And uh, that's the best way I can put it. And feminism is very nuanced. And to be honest, it's not feminism if it doesn't include trans women. If yeah, it's absolutely. not feminism it, if it doesn't include Black women. Exactly. So that is the thing. Feminism is anti-racist. So it's not feminism is, it if it is. doesn't include Black women. It's not feminist if it doesn't include trans women. Mm. It, it's not feminism if it doesn't include BIPOC women. Uh, that, that kind of thing so uh, um, yeah, yeah uh, I, white feminism is not feminism I don't know I, I want to put it that way that is not feminism yeah, yeah and, I, and I agree completely and um, it's just because I've had uh, I used to do another podcast which was centered around women's rights um, and we had some speakers on here that that felt not on here on that podcast that they they were not comfortable with identifying as feminism uh, a feminist sorry because of these things that said leaving certain groups of people out um and and so i actually do empathize with that because obviously if you're if you don't know that much or if you're transitioning into this space and you think oh i'm gonna you know i want to join a feminist group because what i've read and what i've heard that, that we're all inclusive and then you go in and then you're told actually you don't fit because you're trans or something like that and i can see the resistance and and that's why it's kind of i think it is dangerous the names that people call themselves um because you can say i'm a feminist but but i like or but i don't like so it's it's but then the, the way things are these days you can't tell someone you can't identify as a feminist if you want to because you might have certain ideas that are you know empowering to women but then others that are actually disempowering to women um and that's why um there's a what's her name oh, Gloria Steinem um, I don't know whether you know anything about her story but she had a lot of resistance because she wanted to involve everybody and her white colleagues were like no this is not for it's not a black movement this is a separate thing they can join like the civil rights 
if they want to and it's like no 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 this is a <laughs> they're women uh and um so yeah I think it, it's a shame that something that started off to be positive has some has separated um folks but I think you know like this woman and I can't remember her name and it's not coming up but yeah she was like there is no way you can tackle climate change without a focus on women as well um and empowering women because in any single crisis and every single crisis women are always going to be just particularly black women um and so that's just a fact when people can't can't really can't really deny that um but yeah so yeah it's been such an interesting conversation and I think I think eye-opening for a number of different people listening not having that because I think when I mean living in the UK I know that the whenever I hear about climate change it's only really ever about a European context not really too much about understanding what happens in Africa and I am African so I do know what goes on but it's only because I'm from there and I'm interested but I think it's important for other people to know as you said information kind of learn and unlearn um the the kind of information and critique information so I'm interested to hear about the um and I've actually just started following them um you just mentioned them um Africa, 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 no filter. I'm actually following them because I'd like to kind of see what they say um, and kind of hear African voices um, because climate change shouldn't be seen as just a a northern response or, or, you know, something that only people in the global north are uh, interested in and and can respond to. Um, But what what, what do you think we can do about the research that you mentioned that there's only 1% of African researchers Oh, one percent of our African researchers. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's it's from an underlying issue that only uh, actually four percent of global climate research funding actually goes to actual uh, Africans and mm-hmm. uh, uh, actually uh, to Africa. And out of out of that, only fifteen percent goes to actual Africans to carry out research. So I think one thing is uh, to call out that hypocrisy. That is one one thing to call it out, but also push our governments to increase funding on local research institutions. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, I think that is one thing to do. And also highlight the work um, African climate research uh, mm-hmm. scientists are actually doing. I think so that their work is not actually going under amplified, that, that is the thing. So yeah. it's also amplifying their own work, mm-hmm. yeah. And I've just forgot, I mean, we have an amazing, uh, in Kenya, amazing woman who unfortunately is no longer with us, but Wangari Mazai, who is literally an inspiration. She done Phenomenal. so, I mean, she was a, was she the first African woman to win a Nobel Peace Prize and she, um, was way beyond her time and um, has left a, a rich legacy. Um, I'm super inspired by her and um, and the fact that she really she wanted Africa to be put on the map and she didn't kind of sell her soul and and move on and yeah and 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 I think yeah we need more people like like her and I'm sure they are but obviously where we don't we don't really get to see we don't really get to see that where do you know where we can I mean what kind of we need a platform right because I know there's lots of push for African entrepreneurs and stuff like that. But in terms of like climate change and thing, I mean, you're one of them, but we need more, we need a place where we can celebrate important work like you're doing. Um, I don't know whether we need to start it. I don't know who needs to, <laughs> but we need a bigger platform. Cause I think at the moment, particularly now, I mean, a lot of this you see in, in America, you see a lot of, you know, push and backing um, for black people doing great things, but not so much definitely not here and I don't know too much about what what goes on um in all parts of Africa because it's a it's a big place 
Um, but I don't know whether you you have any any insights on that. Well, I think I think to be honest, um, first of all, and this is something I also talk, uh, forgot to actually talk about, is um, to solve the climate crisis, especially as it relates to Africa, we need a pan-Africanist approach. Mm. Um, not only a feminist approach, but also a pan-Africanist approach. So I think uh, one thing that we need to do is um, unite our very own experiences together as Africans. And um, even towards COP27, I think there has been a huge, a lot of talk around making COP27 an African COP. So um, African COP not necessarily meaning that we ignore um, the, the, the impacts the climate crisis is having on other global South countries, but basically to make this an opportunity where, you know, we matter too, but yes. it's because we we're not necessarily we are necessarily treated that or like we don't matter, and that is why we're trying to actually make um, African voices heard in these spaces. So there is that. Um, um, yeah, not sure if you have any questions specifically. For that. Yeah, um, I mean, I think yeah, it's good just to hear that that there is there's something in the works to have a, an African cop. But do you, do you know whether it's going to be in Africa or do you think it, yeah, yeah, it's, it's in Egypt? Gonna... It's in oh, Egypt. great. Martial Shah. Yeah, yeah. Great. It's in Egypt. Yeah, yeah. And when, when is it again? <laughs> so I'm asking you all these questions. I think it's in November. In November again. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's really good. So yeah, we should keep um, keep an eye. And it'll be interesting to see yeah, the, the, how, if the agenda is different at all or, you know, who who is who is speaking and you know, will there be a because I, I, yeah, kind of what, what will be the narrative? Well, I think for, for, uh, hey, the narrative probably will change as it relates to the activist side, mm. but as it relates to world leaders and global climate uh, politics, I think that is just a location change, right? That has uh, that has changed, it's just a location change. By the politics there, it's the very same people. So that kind of thing. So I think it would only be a location change. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right then. Well, well um, I guess we'll keep an eye out and see and see what happens. So so is there um just for all the listeners out there, just you know, how where can they find you? How can they follow you? You know, how can they reach out um to you? What's your Twitter? What's your Instagram? Um so my uh, my Twitter is at Eric Dinjuguna, same to my Instagram. I guess most of my social media are the same username, at Eric Dinjuguna. Eric without a C, so it's E-R-I-C-D-N-J-U-G-U-N-A. Perfect. At Eric oh. Dinjuguna. Perfect. I'll add this on, onto the, uh, the show notes. Um, but yeah, again, thank you, Eric. I think we could talk for hours and hours and hours about this. Um, and it's really, I feel like I've learned a lot talking to you. Um, and I, I look forward to meeting you in Kenya in person uh, soon. And um, yeah, thank yeah. you again for your time um, and all the best with your important work. And just, yeah, looking forward to seeing how, how you progress and what you're doing and helping tackle climate change Same. in Africa. So I hope to meet you sometime. Yes, for sure. All right. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> okay, then. Bye, everyone. Okay, bye. Bye.